0: If, uh, the first two psalms are the introductory psalms to the entire Psalter, and so we're taking up first psalm this evening, and we'll look at Psalm 2, the other introductory chapter, in two Sundays from now. Before we hear God's Word read, let's go to the Lord again, asking for His help. Our gracious God, we pray, we ask that You would cause our eyes to see The blessedness that is what the psalm speaks of, that is our desire, pray that you would enlighten our eyes. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hear now the word of God, Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. But the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Thus far the reading of God's holy word, and may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. We begin this evening with our summer series called Summer in the Psalms. We will get through Psalm 5, turning then our attention elsewhere to the Lord's Prayer. But For tonight, for, tonight, for now, we have the pleasure of meditating on blessedness. You have to be rather young or quite out of tune to the music that the world is playing to miss the world's push to advance away of a world that denies God-given binaries, God-given twoism. The message of the world is that non-binary thinking is now in vogue and must forever remain so. Suppressing binary thinking is essential, for instance, to the transgender cause believing there to be more than two sexes. The message of the word, however, holds tightly to the twoism the way that things truly are. Light and dark, day and night, earth and sky, water and land, sun and moon, male and female, body and spirit, creator and creation, the eternal, temporary, and on and on. We see in scripture that Binary, 2 is the way. Through Psalm 1, we see an inescapable twoism—one not, one unable to be avoided. God sets forth two paths. He provides us with two pictures of those paths and then lays out for all of his image bearers two possible ends, two destinations. Which path we take will determine which end we will have. We must ask ourselves then, do we desire the blessed life? That's not a no-brainer question. Just like Jesus to the lame man pressed his motives. Do you want to be well? That was a legitimate question that Jesus asked the man, because being well then meant for him a change course of action. It meant no longer begging. It meant getting a job. Do you want to be well? Dear ones, do you want to be blessed? It is an overreaction to write, as one man has famously done, that it is possible to have your best life now. But it is also an overreaction to speak as if your blessed life is entirely future, something that you are waiting for that you don't have even a glimpse of this side of heaven. Indeed, as we will see in this psalm, it's impossible to have a future blessed life in the new heavens and earth if it doesn't start here on earth and before we die. In other words, if you want a future of blessedness, you must start now. And if you don't start now, before you meet your creator, before you meet the judge of all the earth, then you'll never truly be blessed. We see from this psalm that to conduct your life in the counsel of the Christ is to live the blessed life. Look again at verses 1 and 2 with me. We see, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Psalm 1 is a wisdom psalm in which the psalmist is exhorting us to live fully for the Lord. He exhorts us in part by clearly marking out two different paths. There is the path of the wicked, and there is the path of the righteous. The psalmist says that the blessed wise man, does not approach the wicked, does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, does not stand in the way of sinners, does not sit in the seat of scoffers. So we have here two words to describe the wicked. The first is sinners. Well, is everyone a sinner? Yes, excepting Jesus. The wicked are those whose lives are characterized by sin. They are those who drink sin like it is water. Their very energy for the days of evil. Their very source for death. Scoffers. This word scoffer is the name for the arrogant, haughty man. Scoffers are, according to scripture, big talkers. They like to talk a big game. Like, they like to boast of their abilities, to boast of their wisdom, what they believe to be wisdom, which is. As the Scripture says, actually, folly. The wicked are all of those who do not love the Lord, who do not delight in the law of the Lord, who do not prize His wisdom. Those are the wicked. And the various degrees, of course, of the wicked. Some scoff more than, than others would. Some lives are more characterized by sin than the lives of others. But they have that hostility towards the Lord in common that rejection of the way of the Lord. The righteous, by contrast, make it their aim to know God and to serve Him. Now, of course, the righteous are not sinless. We don't want to make that mistake, saying that the righteous are without sin. If they were, there would be no reason for redemption. There would be no reason for Christ to have come down to earth. No, the righteous depend upon the grace of God daily which is why they meditate and delight daily on the path of wisdom that is found in the law of God. They acknowledge themselves to be sinners in need of grace. Their lives are characterized not by sin, but by service to God, by hearing His instruction, not refusing His instruction. Their lives are characterized by obedience to the Lord, not by rebellion. And we see that the righteous meditates on the law of the lord day and night a word is in order to clarify what meditation is not and what it is it is not an emptying of the mind a releasing of all the content that is in your brain getting rid of everything becoming clear it's not a mantra meditation simply a, a mindless repetition of maybe a phrase that has meaning But when you repeat it over and over, it becomes senseless, meaningless, in order to make room for some enlightenment outside of oneself. No, that's not what meditation in the Scriptures refers to. To meditate is to set intentionally and prayerfully your mind on Scriptures, to press the Scriptures deeply, to ingrain them into your soul, Colossians 3, 1 and 2 says, set your affections, or literally set your minds on the things above, on the things of Christ. The Puritan Ezekiel Culverwell says, to read and not to meditate is unfruitful. Before I continue with the quote, reflect on that. To read and not to meditate is unfruitful. And you can read all the books you want. You can read 12, 50, 100 books a year, all you want. But if you are not thinking about what you are reading, Ezekiel is saying, that's unfruitful. You are doing yourself no good. You're doing the kingdom of God no good. All you are doing is storing up knowledge without any holiness, without any change, without any affection. He goes on, to meditate and not read is dangerous for error. So you meditate and meditate and meditate, but what are you meditating on? What are you thinking about? If you're not filling your mind with Scripture, then you're meditating on your own imagination, your own thoughts, and that is dangerous. You're opening yourself up to the whole gamut of errors. You're not taking captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. And finally, he says, to read and meditate without prayer is hurtful. You can read all those books. You can meditate on those books. You can read the Scripture over and over. You can go through that Bible reading a year plan, meditate on it. If you don't join that with prayer, it's hurtful. Hurtful to your own soul. Again, you're storing up all of this knowledge, deeper and deeper knowledge, but... You're not joining that knowledge with humility. And so we are to have all three. We are to read. We are to meditate and pray. Christ is the righteous path. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Christ never walked in the counsel of the wicked. Christ never stood in the way of sinners. Christ never sat upon the seat of scoffers. Paul says, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. If you want knowledge, you seek Christ. If you want wisdom, you seek Christ. That's where you will find it. Christ is the blessed one. Christ answered truly the high priest's question, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? Yes, I am, he says. The life that is truly joyous, that is fully satisfied, that is full of divine favor, is the blessed life. The blessed life of wisdom, then, is that life that is fixed on the person and the work of Christ. As Thomas Watson said, association begets assimilation. Children, what this means is you are, the closer you are to someone, the more like that person you become. Boys, you, you love your dad. I see the nodding there, Yes. Girls, you, you love your mom. You want to be like them, don't you? They show you things that uh, you didn't know before, and they teach you the ways of the Lord. You just think the world of your dad. You think the world of your mom, and you want to be more like them. It's not a surprise to find that at times the interests of the father are are put are, are transferred to the to the son. Or the gifts and the skills of the mother are transferred to the daughters. The closer you are to someone, the more like that person you become. So the question is, with whom will you associate? And we see from the psalm, associate not with the wicked. Associating with the wicked is the wrong kind of assimilation. Oh, we see from the psalm that we are to expect to meet many wicked. We must not be surprised when the wicked come. They are in the world. They are, as Jesus says, the world. Expect the wicked to come from the world. But at times, most lamentably, the wicked come from within, come from the church. That's why we have many warnings in Scripture about wolves in sheep's clothing, about false teachers, about those who who prefer the world to the Word who prefer their pleasures to Christ. I don't say this so that you would be now suspicious of everyone here in the congregation, but would exhort you to be shrewd, as Jesus says, to be innocent as doves and to be shrewd as serpents, to know people by their fruit or lack thereof. Avoid association with the wicked, we see in the psalm. This does not mean, of course, that you must now leave the world and start praying, Lord, take me out of the world. Paul says that you can't, if you were to do that, if you were to never associate in any sense of the word with the world, then you wouldn't have any dealings with anyone. But do you see the progress that is to me being communicated in the psalm? You are going from walking in the counsel of the wicked, just standing in away, and then getting closer, sitting in their seats, getting closer and closer as you associate more and more, as you say, well, what's what's wrong with what he says here? Well, I can see his point. You get closer and closer to the world, expect to get closer and closer to evil, expect to get closer and closer to folly, and then expect to be come more and more like that. As Solomon urges his sons not even to go near that adulterous woman, the righteous do not dare to dip a toe in the water just to see how it is. Now, do not think that you can play with fire and not be burned by it. Dear ones, investigate what you put into your heart. Investigate, inquire into the shows that you watch, the music that you listen to, The relationships that you invest in, the time that you spend on the internet, social media. I could speak from personal history how my walk with the Lord was hurt by my choice in my teenage years to prefer music that was, in a word, godless. Well, I liked the tune, I liked the the way it sounded. Oh, I was listening for the tune and not for the words. I, I rationalized. And can. it's not a surprise to, to see that it would have an effect on, on me. Of course, the music didn't make me be the person I was, but it certainly influenced me. And as a teenager, impressionable. If I am listening to music that is full of immorality, that is full of curse words, what do you think will come out of my mouth, even when I don't expect it to come? But cursing, the effect that some music had on my own soul. I became depressed for a time, even suicidal. Perhaps your journey with music or something similar to that is similar to mine. We need to be careful of what we are imbibing what we are drinking in what we are adopting do not be fooled to think that it will have no effect on you associate not with the wicked but associate with the christ associating with christ that is the right kind of assimilation do you want to be like jesus do you want to be more like christ It's not a rhetorical question Children, adults, do you want to be more like Jesus? Amen. Well, just as you can expect to meet the wicked in the world, you can expect to meet with the Christ whenever you meditate on His Word. Some dear saint remarked as she made her way out, she said that she was unable to sing a particular verse of Him because she was so fixed on something that we read in the Scripture, that Jesus is with us while we are worshiping. He's joined us in the congregation. She would tear up. It just happened this morning. We ought to have that expectation every single time we come to Lord's Day worship. Every single time we think about His Word, you meet with the Christ. It is His Word when you run away from the house of the wicked, when you pound upon the door to the house of the Lord, you will find that door opened unto you. You will find your Savior heartily welcoming you. Keep asking Jesus to reveal himself through his Spirit-inspired word. Keep seeking him in that word. Keep knocking on the door to the throne of grace. You will not be turned away. The word will be given. The pearl of great price will be found. The door to the truth will be opened unto you. Pray for strength of spirit to focus your mind on the things above. Read the scripture. Read it verse by verse. At times, it's good to to read large sections of scripture. It's also wise to dig deeper and deeper, reading verse by verse, slowly, repeatedly, memorizing some. Children, adults, I challenge you. This week, to memorize Psalm 1. It's not difficult, but it takes time. Memorize Psalm 1. Memorize the psalm that speaks of your blessedness. Mutter it to yourself. Pray for your eyes to be open, for your heart to receive, for your ears to hear, for your mind to recall the Word of God. Ask, what does this verse mean? Before moving on, settle that. What does it mean? And then how does this verse apply to me? And then move on to the next verse. Pray for the grace to obey. Resist the urge to abandon ship. Nothing worthy of our attention is instantly easy. As my daughter has recently learned, great things take time. As the word of Christ dwells richly in you, you will know Christ's presence all the more. Charles Spurgeon once spoke of John Bunyan. Says, "Prick him anywhere, his blood is Bibline. The very essence of the Bible flows from him. He cannot speak without quoting a text, for his very soul is full of the Word of God." Do you desire to be at that point in your life, to know the Word of God so well that as soon as someone says something, your, your mind immediately goes to a particular passage of Scripture, something you could even quote? Something that you could find useful for your soul and useful for another. Something you could pray back to the Lord and praise. Do you want that? I know I do. Do you desire to know the word more than the world? You must study the word. You must invest. This is the word of God. This is what you get to meditate on. This is a gift from the Lord for your blessedness. Do not deprive yourself of this source of life. Do not deprive yourself of this source of wisdom. Associate with the righteous, with the wise who are in Christ. If bad company corrupts good morals, then good company commends righteous living. One of the reasons our church offers so many events is not to promote a social club. It's It's not to give you things to do when you are bored. It's not to fill up your calendars. We're all rather busy. We all have things to do, places to go, people to see. But we offer these many events that you might fellowship with the wise. You might be with one another. You would invest in one another's lives. Proverbs 13.20 says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. That means you must walk with the wise if you really want to become wise. You must spend time with the older saints, get to know them, get to know how the Lord has worked in their lives. I hope you want to be wise. You'll need to start, you'll need to work at forming or maintaining godly relationships. A true friend that sticks closer than a brother and so find one, or be one, and then grow together in blessedness. We continue in verses 3 and 4. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. The psalmist, in distinguishing these paths, shows one to be the better, really the only way worth considering, What does a parent do to entice his child to pursue the righteous path? Well, he paints a picture. He might paint the path of life as one that's entirely attractive, or he might paint the path of death as entirely repulsive. And in this case, the psalmist does both. Here's a beautiful picture of life, wisdom, and here's a picture of death. For his sons, Solomon painted the path led by the forbidden woman. Says, in essence, sons, what do you see? Yes, a woman whose lips drip with honey, whose speech is smoother than oil. Oh, she will look and say anything and everything that you want her to say. Oh, but discern her way. Look at her hands. Do you see what her hands are holding? Do you see the sword behind her back? Get closer. Smell her breath. Is there not death on her breath? Is it not bitter? Oh, run away, children, run away. Her steps lead to regret, to Sheol, to decay, to death. Turn away from the forbidden woman, but turn to your wife. Look to her. Be fully satisfied by her. Be drunk by her love. The psalmist is not a game show host, as in the price is right, asking us to choose one door blindly over the others without any knowledge of what lies behind each door. We see in this song that he has opened both doors. There's not a crack or open full. Here's death. Here's life. See into both of these doors. There's a fruitful tree. The Lord paints this picture for us, gives a picture of a tree that is fruitful. If the kingdom of God can be compared to a grain of mustard seed that starts small, but it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants, the blessed man is like that tree. The blessed man, the man of wisdom, is an evergreen tree. He is always flourishing, his fruit is always in season because he has been planted with the seed of the Spirit. The streams of the water of the word are a forever fount of nourishment, of life. Husbands will sometimes be playful and tease their plant-loving wives because their wives love the idea of having plants, such beautiful life in the home, around the home, but who sometimes end up killing the plants. Just can't make sure the plant stays alive. These plant children might last a few days, couple weeks at most only to be lost among the household hubbub but in the case of the blessed man his father in heaven never leaves him never forsakes him always working in him to will and to do of his good pleasure always pruning watering nourishing that he might bear good fruit Each day, we his children drink in new mercies as our heavenly Father waters our spirits with his spirit. The result then is the opposite of that figless Israel that we read about in Mark's gospel. We have branches whose leaves never wither nor waste away. But the wicked are not so. The wicked do not receive this fatherly attention, much less this fatherly devotion. They do not have that privilege, that grace. Indeed, as the proverb says, the Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. The wicked are like a chaff whose purpose alone is to be separated from the wheat. Rather than speaking of the wicked in terms of a withering tree, the psalmist uses a more debased image, Calvin says, to ingrain in our minds the eventual eradication and the destruction of The fool. And so as the Holy Spirit blows where he wishes, as the Spirit enlivens whom he wills, so the Father blows away the wicked with the breath of his wrath. The wicked finds no refuge in Christ, the true tree of life. And so his destination is, as the Scriptures foretold, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. But the blessed the truly wise, will find life in the one who took that curse for them. And as we become his branches, we will bear fruit, because from his bosom flow living waters. So you see the two pictures of two different ways of living. I put the question before you, again, which do you desire? The path of life, the path of death? The tree, or to be like the chaff that is driven away? Do you desire to be grafted into the true tree, which is Christ? There is only one way to bear sweet, plump, and crisp fruit. It is to abide in Christ and for Christ to abide in you. Now, you'll remember earlier, I said that you would know the wicked by their fruit. But this is true only if you can distinguish their fruit from your own. What is your fruit? Have you examined it recently? That's what Paul exhorts the Corinthians to do, to examine themselves, to see if they are in the faith. Does your fruit smell rotten? Does the fruit of your flesh bruise like a peach? Are you aware of its scent, or like a habitual smoker who lives in a house of stench, are you oblivious to your own vaporous, malodorous life? As our souls abide and meditate on Christ, our hearts grow more and more inflamed with the love of Christ. As our hearts reach upward, then our hearts' fire rises heavenward as well. Dear ones, you are meant to be pulled in by the attractiveness of this evergreen tree, by the sweet-smelling aroma of the gardenias that grow in the Lord's garden. Be persuaded, dear ones, by the smooth words of the Savior, by the oily speech of the Anointed One, whose feet trod upon the path of life and whose hands will lead you to righteousness and blessedness. Well, the psalmist highlights this wise path by identifying two destinations, two distinct ends. In verses 5 and 6, we read, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The blessed person, because he is planted by God and planted for God, will prosper. His prosperity, his flourishing will depend upon the continuing work of the Spirit of God and will depend upon his own prayerful, meditative dependence on the Spirit's power, presence, and word. The word prosper here communicates strength, effectiveness, usefulness, power even. And it's used of King Uzziah in Second Chronicles 26, 5. He set himself, To seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God, and as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. What an encouragement we have. As long as we seek the Lord, God will make us prosper. Our souls will flourish. will bear fruit. Unimaginable. Thomas Brooks says, It is not he that reads most, but he that meditates most that will prove the choicest, sweetest, wisest, and strongest Christian. You don't need to worry about reading as many books as the other person. Meditate on what you read. It might be one book a year. I imagine you could read more than a book a year. But even if you had one really good book and meditated on that, I imagine you would bear much fruit. Let's make that book the Bible. If you had one Bible to read or one book to read, may it be the Bible. Meditate on that day and night, and you will prove to be the choicest, sweetest, strongest Christian. On the other hand, however, is the punishment, the perishing of the wicked. The end of the wicked is to be swept away in a judgment that is worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. Proverbs 29, or nineteen twenty nine says, Condemnation is ready for scoffers and beating for the backs of fools. Although, The fruit of the wicked may appear sweet, it is bitter to the apple core, and will meet a bitter end, the end of destruction. The wicked will disappear, and they will fade to eternal blackness. The ungodly, yes, even those who cover themselves with religious garb, with religious language, they will one day be shown to be false, and they, like chaff, will be driven away by the breath. The wrath of God. The only remedy then is to be found in Christ and to flourish because of Christ. Christ alone is the way of life. Christ alone is the way of wisdom. Christ alone is the way to blessedness. The wicked will not stand in the way of divine judgment, but the righteous man, Jesus the Christ, stood under divine judgment to make righteous the formerly wicked. There is then hope for all of you who do not know Christ, if you would but come to him, you will find him a welcoming Savior. Pursue lasting life, dear ones, eternal prosperity in the life of Christ. For what does it profit in Ahab to take the vineyard of Naboth, only to be taken away, cut off by the vine dresser? What does it profit a Jezebel to gain a kingdom just for a time, only to be thrown down and have her blood licked up by those unholy dogs because she did not trust in the Lamb of God? What does it profit a Judas to gain 30 pieces of silver, but to be cast into the depths of hell forever for rejecting his teacher, the Savior? What does it profit a man to be a five-star general, only to lose the war against the sun? that bright morning star, that Lord of hosts. But oh, how it profits you eternally to be a tree planted by the streams of water, to live truly blessed and ever-flourishing, now and forevermore. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we see from this psalm what it is like to live the blessed life. And we pray that you would, by your Spirit, Enliven us, that you would cause us to bear much fruit. Transform our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.